I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. Yellow. I gotta say, uh, this weekend was uh, one of the best football weekends we've had in quite a while, you know? Lots of marquee matchups, lots of interesting uh, games for both college and pro. And some great finishes, even if they didn't always go the way we wanted. Some great, great finishes. And it's really set up uh, a really fun rest of the year at both the collegiate and pro level. I'm really excited. Uh, we're, we're almost at, it's, what's today? November 14th, or no, Wednesday, November 13th, 2019. We're only a few weeks from Thanksgiving. About six weeks from Christmas. And that means the football calendar is really ramping up. It's getting cold. It's getting rainy and snowy and dark. And we're really getting into the the meat of the calendar. And I couldn't be more excited. So let's start out with uh, college football week 11. We had a uh, full slate of games on Saturday. And we started out with a top 15 matchup between the undefeated Gophers and the undefeated Nittany Lions. Um, Minnesota did not have a very strong strength of schedule coming into this game. Um, But they have a lot ahead between this game and Iowa and, I believe, uh, possibly Ohio State later on. They've got their work set out for them. But the first step for this Gopher team to be to to live up or to create national hype was to beat Penn State um, in Minneapolis and what did they do they rode the boat PJ Fleck coming over from uh, Western Michigan a few years ago with his row the boat mentality and I personally think these matchups are so much fun because you get a team that's a on the rise right a team that's on the come up and they get a real test against a top team and you get it on the at home for the for the uh, lowered ranked team, and their fan base is all fired up. You hear a lot. You know, this is the biggest game in our school's his, recent history. Uh, this is the best fan environment we've had in recent history. And Minnesota, to their credit, came out and punched them in the mouth. Um, and that's in these types of matchups. If you don't come out firing early and get out to a lead, you know that the the top team is a top team for a reason. I mean, they've got grit for all 60 minutes. They're going to come back. Um, and so the question for Minnesota following the script is, after the initial shock of it all wears off, they get a few big plays. They get a few touchdowns. What's going to happen when the game gets in the trenches? And they struggled a little bit. I mean, Penn State scored a couple times, got it close, had a chance to go and win. But... The Minnesota defense held strong, and that's ultimately uh, the story of this game and why they ended up winning. It's it's kind of amazing what P.J. Fleck has done with this program because, you know, this, there's there's a pretty common script at this point of a, G, a group of five coach uh, leads a team to unforeseen success, right? And then with their newfound reputation, they go to a middling P5 program, Power 5 program. 
and try to resuscitate them from the dead. Uh, we saw that with Scott Frost going after his uh, the first undefeated UCF season going to Nebraska. He hasn't had as much success there. Um, and it's it's a tough, tough act to follow because just being in a Power 5 school is totally different because you have the expectations. more. You have a lot more expectations. You have a lot stiffer competition on a week-to-week basis. Um, like Rutgers coming into the Big Ten. Now they just are the doormat of the of the conference. But for P.J. Fleck in two short years to get them to 9-0, and um, and now number, number uh, what is it, nine in the country with a few good teams in front of them, uh, is nothing short of remarkable. And it gives the credit to, I know culture is kind of an overused buzzword, but, um, you know, installing that type of culture, that type of mentality that, this team may be really good, but they can come in, if they come into our house, you know, we've got a good chance, um, is something that you really shouldn't take lightly. And looking forward, uh, for the Golden Gophers, they're, the easiest part of the schedule is in their rearview mirror. They're 6-0 in conference with, they beat up on teams they had to beat up on. But now you get Wisconsin, uh, Iowa, who's a tough defensive team, but Wisconsin, who's a tough defensive team, um, and also stopping Jonathan Taylor in that last game in particular. Uh, so those are two games, and I was actually favored by three uh, in that game, and they're going to Iowa City. So Minnesota's got a tough schedule ahead, but you know if they can pull those off, they will get in the playoff, and that would be absolutely crazy to see. And the interesting question is if a one-loss Minnesota team gets in, but we'll... We'll save that, uh, I think, uh, when the time comes. In the division, they have a two-game lead uh, atop Wisconsin. So if they're able to win out, or even if they lose one game, uh, they still stay at the top uh, of the division and will have a chance to play for the Big uh, Ten title, probably against Ohio State. And so Minnesota's got a real chance at this thing, um, and I'm really excited. Penn State, meanwhile, has fallen down to nine in the latest college football rankings. I'll react to those in a little bit. Um, And they have got their work cut out for them as well. Going to Columbus to play Ohio State on Big Noon in a few Saturdays uh, will be a tough matchup for the Nittany Lions. Um, But if they win that and they have one loss, and they own the tiebreaker against Ohio State, Um, and they go to the Big Ten Championship game, possibly for a rematch, would be really fun. I would enjoy that. That would be really interesting to see, Uh, and probably create a a quarterfinal. So I'm really excited for the rest of the Big Ten. Meanwhile, the afternoon game was even crazier, and probably the most hyped matchup uh, in recent memory. LSU and Alabama, two SEC teams on a collision course, undefeated. Joe Burrow, Tua Tungvaluwa. And LSU came out with the victory, 46-41. to 41. Now, eight years ago, they played what was deemed the game of the century before the game. LSU, number one, Alabama, number two, or vice versa, I forget. But... In Tuscaloosa, LSU beat Alabama 9-6. to 
And that was that was kind of dull. But this, this, this might have been the game of the century. I mean, I haven't seen a game... I guess the way I should say it is, is as intense as it was for the whole game. I mean, this was start to finish, uh, just drama-filled. And obviously lots of offense helped keep everyone engaged, because you could tell right away this wasn't going to be 9-6. Uh, this was going to be a shootout, and this was going to be a lot of fun. And fun is exactly what we got. You could see early on that Alabama, uh, this was a, a challenge unlike anything they had seen this year. Uh, especially toward the end of the first half, they really started to lose their composure. Careless turnovers, the defense, putting the defense in horrible spots, um, and going from a six-point game to a uh, 20-point game in a matter of a couple of minutes. And you knew that Alabama was going to come back. I mean, this team is too resilient uh, to, to, to just lie down. Um, and also you could tell that Tua was not 100% in the first half, uh, whether that was physical or mental or both. Um, he just didn't look like himself. But in the second half, after Alabama got back in it, scored a couple of touchdowns, it was going to be a dogfight. And ultimately, it was the running backs that made the difference for both teams. I mean, Najee Harris, humongous game uh, from the Alabama back. 19 carries, 146 yards, and a touchdown. And then he, he, he kind of helped the tide tread water for a while, but ultimately it was Clyde Edwards-Elaire, running back of LSU, that put it away. 20 carries, 103 yards, and three touchdowns. I was also interested to see uh, the heart of Tua Tungavailoa as well. Even when he looked hobbled coming back um, and, and still throwing for 418 yards and four touchdowns and kind of leading his team back. Uh, just a lot of really good individual performances in this game. But in the end, in a crazy environment at Brian Denny, by the way, bucket list, go there sometime, um, <laughs> LSU came out with the victory. You know, looking at the season as a whole, I mean, I don't, I mean, we knew that Joe Burrow was going to be good, but I don't know if anyone would have thought that LSU's plan to the top was going to be to just flat out outscore people. I mean, Beating Florida, uh, or beating meaning Texas early in week two, forty-five thirty-eight, and then beating Florida, forty-two twenty-eight, and now beating Alabama, forty-six forty-one. I mean, these this is an LSU team that is putting teams away with late scores, uh, hitting the gas early and often. Joe Bu Joe Burrow is now probably the Heisman front runner. I mean, if you look at not only his overall body of work, but in close moments and tight moments. His completion percentage and his ability to make the right throw in big moments is remarkable. Uh, I mean, even his macro body of work, 31 for 39, 393 yards and three touchdowns, no, no interceptions, and also a QBR of 91.9. I mean, if ESPN's stat, proprietary stat, does all it says it does, um, th this is a guy that knows how to make clutch throws and... Ultimately, that's what wins you, and that this was probably a, a signature game for him. So now LSU moves up to number one in the ranking, probably uh, even builds themselves the buffer of a loss. Although, if you look at their remaining schedule, Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Texas A&M, uh, the only real game that looks could, like it could be tough is, is the Aggies uh, to end the regular season. And then, of course, you have a conference championship game, um, probably... 
against the Bulldogs of Georgia. And that would be a lot of fun. But LSU's bought themselves a loss, I think, with with, uh, beating four top ten teams on their way uh, to number one is something that a lot has probably given them some wiggle room in the eyes of the committee. Uh, the same cannot be said for the for the Tide, who really only, it's not really their fault, um, but have really only have one quality win all year so far against A&M and now have a loss. Really the only chance they have to get back into this thing is one to win out. They're going to have to beat Auburn on the last game of the year. And Auburn, uh, I'm sure the Tigers will look forward to knocking out the Tide's playoff hopes as an option. Um, But it's tough for them because now LSU owns a tiebreaker. LSU has an inside track uh, to get to the SEC championship game. They'd have to lose two of their next three, and I do not see that happening at all uh, to not get there. And so Alabama is going to need a lot of help. Uh, I mean, they're at number uh, five now. And with Georgia in front of them, Georgia's going to have to lose again. And Clemson probably going to have to lose twice, or maybe once. I mean, Clemson's schedule is miserable as well. Um, So they're going to need some help. They're not done, but they're going to need some help. Finally, the local hour of the night game, Cal beat Washington State 33-20. to Uh, Going into this game, I didn't really know what to expect. I mean, Wazoo's had a kind of an off year, a little down year. Uh, They've not played well against big opponents. Uh, They've just struggled in general. But we knew they had a good quarterback. We knew that they had the potential to knock off the Bears. Both teams were 1-4 in conference, um, nevertheless. But uh, in the end, we saw a Cal team after an interesting start that uh, ran away with it. Surprisingly, we had a good game from Devon Modster. The Now we're not sure if he's the backup or not, but Chase Garber's cleared to play. I'm excited for that. Um, but we had a good game from Devon, 230 yards, three touchdowns. Um, and he, he did what he needed to do. Uh, he handed the ball off a lot. He hit a couple of deep throws. Uh, some of those throws are really nice. Um, and against a pretty easy defense, started to find a sort of rhythm. And that's why we're a little unsure about whether he's going to start next game. Um, and I guess the path to success for the for the Bears is not dissimilar to the path to success for the Niners, which we'll talk about later. Um, good defense and good, good running game. Uh, the defense, speaking of, seemed to get some of their mojo back after some tough losses, and, uh, in particular getting blown out by Utah 35 nothing. They really made... Uh, they, they they really uh, got back to that sort of bend-but-don't-break uh, like we saw early on. I mean, a big fourth down stop on the red zone, um, not giving only giving up 20 points. I mean, they, it was frustrating watching them sometimes. I mean, watching Washington State find the soft spots in the zone um, and then beating guys individually, but, you know, nothing huge. They didn't give up the big play. They didn't get, let guys get behind them. They didn't let, have really too many of those momentum swings. Uh, I mean, Wazoo never had the lead in this game, and that's all mostly because of the defense. And also they got pressure when they needed to, some big, big sacks. So I, I look forward to this Cal team. You know, hopefully a bowl game's back on the menu. They're 5-4. and four. Take a look at their schedule ahead. USC this weekend is going to be really exciting, especially if Chase Garbers can come back. 
um, and then the big game, and then going to Westwood against UCLA in a team that's kind of on the rise right now. Um, but the Pac-12 is interesting. Cal is interesting. Um, and I think they've actually got a real shot uh, getting to a bowl game this year. Uh, also, the new CFP rankings came out on Tuesday. Now, these are important because they're official college football playoff rankings, which means they're precedent-setting, um, which means that they will help inform us what's going to happen in the future. Um, I disagree with these rankings somewhat. Um, LSU, obviously number one, yes. Ohio State, number two, that's pretty clear. Clemson, uh, they have not played a strong schedule, but, you know, they're 10-0, they're undefeated, put them there. Um, we've, they've shown that they're a really good team, they've beaten up on the teams they've had to beat up on, no problem there. I don't think Georgia's a top-four team. Uh, their one loss is against South Carolina, which is not a good loss at all. Now, they have a few more quality wins than Alabama, most notably Florida um, and Notre Dame, who's actually ranked 7th at the time. But I think Alabama's quality loss is much, much better uh, than Georgia's quality loss, or Georgia's loss. Um, And Alabama's performed well. Um, And I think they deserve... Uh, to be in that fourth spot, I don't think they should have dropped to five. I think Georgia should be lower. What, and I think Minnesota's ranking is right. Or maybe maybe they should have been a little higher, uh, maybe seventh or sixth. But I think putting them a little lower is okay because of the uh, opponents they have coming up. Right? They have really strong opponents coming up, and they'll work. They'll 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 work their way up. Um, if they win out, there's I, I have no problem with that. The Pac-12 is really is interesting because they've got a few quality opponents, but no huge names to jump out of you, right? I mean, Washington's really stumbled. Um, and it's pretty much Oregon and Utah and then everyone else at this point. So Pac-12 will probably have, well, if everything goes to plan, the Pac-12 will have a quarterfinal um, as well. Um, and it'll be nice to hopefully see another Pac-12 team get into the playoff. So that's my reaction to the rankings. That's my reaction to college football this week. And now we move on to the NFL. The big game, the Niners and Seahawks, on Monday night. As a Niners fan, this is a little sad. But what a game. Uh, the Seahawks beat the Niners 27-24 in overtime. Uh, this was game of the year on paper, game of the year on the field. Pretty rare you see that. And it was a dogfight. Crazy momentum shifts, Niners coming out hot, Seahawks burying them, and then the Niners coming back before back-and-forth overtime. In the end, uh, it came down to a couple things for the Niners, both on the offensive end. Uh, Jimmy G not playing as well uh, as we've seen him play this year, particularly with some open throws that he just missed. Um, but also the Niners' offensive injuries ca- catching up to them, both with the wide receiving core, which without Sanders and Kittle couldn't catch a single ball that was thrown their way, it seemed, at times. Um, and also on the line with Staley and McGlinchey coming back but not looking like they're s- themselves um, and allowing those Seahawks tackles, particularly Jividavion Clowney, who's getting a lot of press that night and the day after, uh, letting them get to Jimmy G, making him uncomfortable, forcing fumbles, interceptions, etc., um, and it's tough uh, for the Niners. 
Um, but I think what they did answer in this game was if they're for real. I mean, you know, I, I shouldn't go, I shouldn't look on Twitter. But like people are like, Niners got exposed, blah, blah, blah. Look, Niners played a 7-2 and two team, one of the best teams in the league at the moment. And they were in it, and they were missing um, their pro, all pro tight end, uh, their number one receiver. Um, and they suffered like five or six injuries during the game on both ends. And yet they only lost by three, and they were a field goal away from winning. The defense in particular gave up 21 points because of the, or 24 points because of the poor, poor field position uh, that they were given in many times. I think I saw on Twitter they the only points they only gave up uh, three points that weren't off of Niner turnovers, uh, not include so six points uh, not off of Niner turnovers and none of the touchdowns. Um, this defense is for real. The offense is still struggling, but I think this is I think this is good for the Niners. You know, uh, after eight and zero, you get in a set if they'd won this game, you get kind of cocky. I mean, you don't intend to obviously. Uh, coaches keep you level-headed, but you can't help it a little bit. And having this loss at home against your rival um, just kind of puts it in a perspective of, like, you know, there is a lot of work left. We'll see if there are any roster changes that happen, but I, I don't think you want to overreact. I mean, this is a team that has looked so good all year. Um, you don't want, just because of one loss with a lot of extenuating circumstances, you don't want to revamp what you're trying to do. Uh, this team still has the potential to go, um, you know, 13-3, and three, uh, something like that, even though they've got a tough schedule coming up just because of the way that they play and how it travels. Um, but a couple of, of key points for the Niners, uh, shoring up the running game, definitely, because it struggled again against Seattle. Um, and also the wide receiver core. And I don't know what Jimmy G... I think he just needs to settle down a little bit. He looked very frantic in the Monday night game. I think that's why those interceptions came out, uh, missing some throws. But the the Cardinals game should have given him some confidence. He needs to ride that out um, for as long as he can. And I think the Niners will get back right, right back into it. Uh, they've got a matchup against the Cardinals next week at home. Uh, divisional matchups are never easy. Uh, so you've you got to watch out for these games. But after that, it's a really tough schedule. We've got the Packers, the Saints, the Ravens, uh, I think the Rams and the Seahawks to close out the year. But either way, it, it's a bunch against, against a bunch of good uh, over 500 teams, teams competing with them for the one seed uh, for the buys. And so it'll be tough, um, but I'm looking forward to it. The Niners are, are looking like the Niners again, a team with such a storied history. And they're looking like a team that can make a real run, uh, especially if they can shore up some of those issues on the offensive end. Quick take. College basketball is, uh, continues to be here. Cal's 2-0 and after an overtime win against UNLV. But the biggest story, uh, Evansville beat Kentucky 67-64. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that I watched all of this game intently. Uh, I kind of had it on during the second half, like, is this going to really happen? And then it kept happening. I was like, whoa, whoa. Um, but the chaos in college basketball is real, and it's exciting because uh, there wasn't, I wouldn't say that there was a prevailing storyline coming into this year. I mean, last year it was uh, the, the Duke freshman. This year we don't really know what's going to happen, um, and there's a lot of ifs. We don't, we, if, if freshmen live up to their potential. 
uh, if coaches can bring their teams back. And so I'm really excited. It's pretty wide open. Uh, the Pac-12 in particular uh, has been playing very well. Uh, no, I, I think as of last night, no out-of-conference losses yet. And so the Pac-12 is playing who they need to play. They're beating who they need who they're beating who's up ahead of them. Um, and I'm really excited uh, for this college basketball season. Uh, brackets will be fun as always. Um, but I think top to bottom, uh, this in, in the Pac-12 in particular as well, uh, is going to be a really fun college basketball season now that I actually have a rooting interest. Uh, just like football, it'll make it all the more fun. Uh, so I'm excited uh, for all of that. And that is Quick Take on College Basketball. Thanks so much for listening to The Long Takes. Check out the podcast everywhere at bit.ly slash thelongtakes, thelongtakes at gmail.com. Rate and subscribe on Google Play. Thank you so much for listening as always. And I will see you next week.